we stop businesses are getting to the level of our um, education. I push myself out there to then say, let me expose myself to more. You have a competitive advantage because when you don't have a competitive advantage, you've got no economic right to be in the marketplace. You're going to get thrashed because the marketplace is unforgiving. Hi, Genies. Welcome to yet another episode of Access Genie. I'm your host, Ansel Ndombewo. We're coming to you live from the spectacular secluded getaway right in the heart of North Cliff. It is called the Cliffside Boutique Getaway. You can come here for business and pleasure. Today, we're bringing you an incredible conversation around the township economy with none other than the township plug himself, Mr. Bulelani Balabala. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, thank you, thank you for having me on your platform. I am so excited to have you because I watch your content on social media. I've seen a number of your interviews on like a mass media platforms. And I, I learned that your business journey actually started when you were young, when you were about 16, 17, when you were a teenager. You had a printing business and you went to a high school and you got them there and the trick jackets done <laughs> and you got your first buck, right? You made about 500 rand in profit though at the time. And then you were able to scale that up and build an internet cafe. Yeah. The interesting part, which was rather shocking for me, was how that internet cafe, first day, made five rand. <laughs> Next day, made three rand. Yeah. And for seven years, on average a month, you'll make about 180 to yeah. 380 rand. Yeah. Yet you kept that business going for seven years. Yeah. Why did you keep on working on that business, even though the profits were not as high as you'd have liked them to be? Um, I think for me, what, you know, you know when you've told yourself that this is my only plan, this is my only solution um, to provide, because the biggest goal then was to be able to help my mother, right, provide food um, and, and then some basic means like electricity and the sort. So... I was really driven by delivering, showing up each and every day, you know, um, learning the business. Because also when I started, you know, I didn't have any knowledge on in and around how to utilize computers, scanning, faxing, and the sort. So I was really just learning as I was moving along. But each and every day, I sort of tell myself that, you know, I'm going to make this thing work. So while I'm running this Internet Cafe, I'm also starting, I'm also doing odd things on the side. So if you come to me and you say, you need rubble removed, I'm going to remove the rubble. Or selling stationary packs at the beginning of the year. So you're trying out all these different things. But also, you know, at the seventh year, you know, June of the seventh year, um, I had told myself, you know, that June is the my last month. Because I've given it all all I had, I've learned different things, I've tried different things, it's not working out. But the strangest thing happened, literally a week after, things started to change. I can't explain it, right? Um, people started to show up, we started making actual money, good money, and things started to change. But I was really driven by sticking to what I had committed to, number one. But sticking to what I'd committed to because I sort of believed that this was going to be the tool that was going to change my my family's life, um, you know, for, for I guess forever. And put me in a position where I'd be able to provide food, have some stable cash flow to be able to do other things. And then I'll sort of deal with me later on. Mm. 
Just for context, um, you're, you were raised by a single mother in Tembisa. Yeah. It was you and your brother, and you'd fall into tough times, yeah. as, as most single mothers yeah. would in this country and worldwide in, in general. So it was important for you to try and play a role in providing for the family yeah. and sort of stand in the gap where, you know, your mother couldn't, couldn't provide as well. And success to you at that time, from what you've just said now, was just being able to bring something home yes. so that we're not eating crumbs today. We have actual slices yeah. of bread that was success. How has your definition of success then now changed from then to now? Sure. Phew, my goodness. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, definitely for one, it's definitely changed. Um, I've been able to achieve quite a number of things. I think for me, success for me now is being a very present dad. I've got two sons. I love them very much. Being a very present dad, um, I think being able to, I think success for me sort of looks like being able to build better long-term annuity income um, to take care of them much longer um, once I'm not here on this earth any longer. But I think for me, it's just being at peace. Mm. You know, and resting because, you know, I've, 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 I'm definitely part of the individuals that instigated the, uh, what you're doing. You know, if you're, if you're waking up at 5 a.m., you're wasting time. You should not be sleeping. You should be grinding, but mm. that's not healthy. You know, it's just that when you're caught up in that bubble, in that moment, um, you feel like those 18 hour, 20 hour days, uh, all you should be living on, but you're also pushed by the fact that you don't want the poverty that you come from. Mm. You know, you sort of mentioned it. Being raised by a single mother uh, was very tough. All I literally wanted to do was just to be able to help out, right? That's all, and we've it's been able to grow from there. You know, and I think for me, it's it's great now to be able to say she's fully taken care of because she really played a big part in taking care of me. And I think also being raised by a single mother, you know, it just says to me, being a dad of two boys, be very present, being be very intentional and be very committed. And it's a lifelong journey. Mm. And being able to say I'm going to follow this dream no matter what takes a lot of audacity. Yeah. I'm just imagining you in Tembesa, in the township, falling into hard times, you're in high school. You have to leave high school to go to like a some sort of tech school to yeah. get some skills. And you still had to have the audacity to go to high school and say, I'm going to provide you with your cheek jackets. I'm going to turn my mother's garage into an internet cafe and it's going to work. And more than that, I'm going to spend seven years making no money and still fight for this job. It is the audacity <laughs> for me. Yeah. Like... The year that you will call it chutzpah, right? Like you're going to just go for it and have that extreme confidence in your idea. And I believe that extreme confidence in yourself. That if I'm going to bet on anything or anybody, I'm betting on myself. And I'm going to keep on improving every single day. What would you say influenced that mindset for you to say, listen, I'm audacious and I'm going to just go for it? So for me, it's... It's also what influenced that is what actually got me to start thinking about entrepreneurship. So one, I think one Friday, a gentleman by the name of uh, Hector Mdao, who was a presenter, entrepreneur, I think then was Radio Bob and the Sword Kaya, something like that, um, who came to my church during youth service. 
And he was talking about how go out there, there's more to the world than Tembisa. In my head, I'm thinking more to the world than Tembisa. The world is Tembisa. What is this guy talking about, right? Because you've sort of assimilated your dreams around, if I can get myself a four-roomed house, I get myself a partner, we'll have one kid, we've got a car to move around, great, but that'll be our place to call home, and then I get myself a 325 IS BMW, I'm sorted. That's my life in a nutshell, right? Um, but, but when he said that, I held on to those words for some reason. Then I found myself a couple of weeks later on, you know, getting on a taxi. I'd go to your Wimpy. Then, then T or T Roypos was around three rand. I'd get newspaper. I'd go sit there the whole. I'd go sit there for a couple of hours. But the specific one I used to go to was the one in Pretoria because when you'd get onto a taxi going to Pretoria, there was a Mercedes Benz dealer. As you enter Pretoria, you you can't enter Pretoria without passing that dealership. So I'd get off there, go to the dealer. I'd spend a couple of hours there, and I used to always tell this guy, this is my car. That car at the time was a CLS, right? And I think that's those are some of the things that got me, that jocked me, that got me to a place where um, I got to expose myself um, to stuff, you know? There's a, there's a wise gentleman who says, I think it was Dr. Marco uh, from Regenesis, says, we stop businesses occurring to the level of our... Um, education you know so I sort of take it a step further and say according to the level of our education and level of our exposure whether the exposure is red exposure it's traveled exposure it's you being able to hang out in the right circles where people are able to drive you into thinking so it makes sense 17 years ago that when I started it started as an internet cafe because that's what all I was exposed to so it was an internet cafe it was a hair salon it was a car wash it was a tuck shop and I could only choose between these because that's all I was exposed to. But what he then spoke about then got me in a position where I pushed myself out there to then say, let me expose myself to more, right? So that then was the amazing advice that got me to where I am. And he said, no, no, don't stay where you are. Watch the car next door. Get that five rand or ten rand. Get onto a taxi. Go sit in town and see what mm. rich or successful people are mm. doing with their lives. That's amazing. And once you've realized that, you need to sort of say, I'm going to stand in the gap. Yeah. And, for example, poverty ends with me. The yeah. lack of education yeah. ends with me. Be, be divorces in my family, yeah. they end with me. Yeah. I'm standing in this gap yeah. and a new generation yeah. and a new time from here forth is now going to be born because now you've had that light bulb moment that's made you realize that there's more to the world than yeah. just that. At what point did you realize, number one, what gap you had to stand on? And number two, say, okay, I'm planting my feet here this is me, I'm standing in the gap, it ends here, and I'm starting anew. You know, it's, it's constantly evolved over the years, right? Um, I think when once we got into our eighth year, I sort of cemented myself into saying, in actual fact, what we're going to be and what we're going to do is that we're going to provide digital printing solutions. That's all we're going to do, right? And the moment, the moment I hung into that, things started to fall in line. I met an amazing gentleman, at the time, we were at the same age. You know, he was white. Philip running a company in, in town, in the town of Tembisa called Glenmarie. Um, and he had all the equipment. And he said to me on that day, first day we met, I don't know you, but I like you. I'll teach you every single thing, mm. you know. He taught me every single thing I needed to know about digital printing and the sort. I'd come there, sit with him for hours. He'd be like, no, no, I'll teach you. It's not a problem. 
And that's where I learned my, say, from a growth perspective, that's where I learned about digital printing. But, you know, it's within doing stuff that, you know, a bug bit in 2015, it was Township Entrepreneurship. Because just before then, you know, I'd gotten quite a number of platforms to come talk up, share my story, right? So that's all I was asked, come share. There's this conference, come share your story. There's this media platform, come share your story. But out of that came, it also then brought a lot of questions from my peers or individuals that lived in the same neighborhoods as me across the country to say, you know, we heard you speaking about one, two, three. How can, how can I get this? How can I get this? But the question that they were asking to me seemed very like, no, man, you should know that. That's when I realized that, no, no, but the access to information is a big challenge, right? And those are some of the things that are inhibiting either entrance into the market space or the ones who've handed, uh, being handed to grow because they don't know certain things. So we really then started tea out of a sheer passion. And I think we've now cemented ourselves, or rather I've cemented myself completely and fully now to say that we're trying to solve for the township entrepreneurial problem. Mm -hmm. We're also then trying to solve for the brands that truly want to solve the township entrepreneurial problem to be able to bridge a gap between the two and creating inclusive markets that are very impactful and very intentional. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about tea and what your mission is with that business or that organization it becomes a little also bit tricky from experiencing it as a as an outsider right yeah. because it looks like correct me if i'm wrong it looks like it's not just an education platform but you also have to change mindsets a lot yeah. because when we 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 are who initially will our circumstances. If you are born in a certain environment with certain challenges, sometimes that's all you know. So you need that one push that says you can be out of this. You this those are the other options that you have in the world. Then you have to then be willing to change the mindset and take the information and the knowledge that's being brought to you to say, okay, great. So these are the options that I have. I can change and do that. So it starts there, it looks yeah. like for me, in yeah. terms of let's change perspectives, let's change mindsets. Even in terms of work ethic, I, I like that your big hashtag and your big motto is get things done. A lot of people don't want to get things yes. done. Yes. They'll tell you yes. that there is unemployment, they don't yes. get opportunities, yes. but even when given an opportunity, they'll not get things done mm. because people mm. are comfortable being chilled mm. and relaxed and the moment you require somebody to show up more than they're used to it's like a bother I abuse right so it starts there with changing that mindset and say so you have to get things done and this is what it means to get things done yeah. and this is what it looks like getting things done before you even get to teaching on there's other opportunities. There's other sponsors. This is how you start a business. This is how you register. You change that mindset first. What kind of challenges have you faced in the township space trying to implement that knowledge? I mean, I like the mindset one, right? Because it speaks right into uh, what we've had to do over the years, right? And we've no we, we noticed something years ago that any township we went to where we tried to do stuff in those townships. There was a mindset from the community that said, um, what, what are you guys gathering us for here? Is it cooperatives? Is it a tender? Is it whatever? And so we then realized that we knew very well that one of the ways in which to start imposing a new mindset is let's change the environment. So it was very intentional that when you come to the workshop, it looks nothing like 
what would ordinarily be perceived as township. So we wanted the person who lives just down the road, who's walking up to this place, this venue that they always walk into, they've attended weddings, their funerals, they've attended graduations and the sorts, they'd walk into the same space and it's a totally transformed space. For me, it was important to say that we'll create spaces in the township that compete, that can compete with any space set up in any venue, in any ICC or whatsoever the case is. Why? Because that then deals with the mindset the moment the person is, is enters into a new space, it opens up their mind to new possibilities, right? They don't walk into a space and they assume themselves a certain position and it blocks them from accessing the information. That was the first. Number two, we then verbally and orally engage the individuals around what we live for and what we should be existing for is one, two, three. And to see some of those realities now come to life through the growth of so many entrepreneurs. I mean, we've been able to work with over 70 thousand township entrepreneurs you know over twenty thousand global entrepreneurs that have participated in our programs so for me that's the seed because the moment you impact that one individual it's gonna they're gonna go and impact others and it's to say to them compete but number one have a competitive advantage means solve a pain and solve a problem Number two, have a competitive advantage because when you don't have a competitive advantage, you've got no economic right to be in the marketplace. You're going to get thrashed because the marketplace is unforgiving. Mm -hmm. But also for me, you know, I love the fact that you touched on it. This, I wear this cap as a constant reminder to me to get things done. That if I drop the ball, if I slip up, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be, uh, you know, I'm gonna be dominated in the market. You know, we've seen it with global brands and multinationals. You know, you slip up, you're out. But also it's a reminder to me to say that, you know, be very intentional and be very present in the moment. Because for me, getting things done is about bringing your dreams and re into, into reality. So when I started to believe in it, you know, 17 years ago, I didn't think I'd be sitting here in this room today with these amazing people talking about my journey, right? And then I was fighting for different things, but now I'm fighting, still fighting for different things, but at a different level, at an exponential rate. And I think that's why it's important for people to live out their dreams. Because, you know, when I was younger than I am now, I had a lot more energy. I'm grateful that I still have that energy, but as I grow older, I will no longer have that energy. Mm -hmm. So one of the biggest motivators for me was always to say, the last thing I want is to be 40 years old or 45 years old, and I'm still hustling. Mm -hmm. You know, because hustling is a phase that you need to work yourself out of mm -hmm. and fight to work yourself out of, mm -hmm. which is why then I used to say stuff like, you know, if you're invited to an interview at seven, you show up at six. Mm. If the deadline is Wednesday at 10 o'clock, you deliver on Tuesday or on the Monday. Why? Because you are fighting to change the narrative or you're fighting against, you know, generational curses or whatever mm. the case, which is why then it ha I had told myself poverty has to stop with me, my family. Mm. And it has stopped with me. Mm. So now the next then now, now the next leg of it is to then now you've got a foundation to now build new ideologies and new narratives to move on to the next level and new generations. And the township economy is actually booming and it shouldn't be underestimated. Yeah. I read a stat when I was preparing for this interview, which is really fascinating. They said that it's a 900 billion rand market in the townships and you'll find 60% of those businesses being formal and 40% being informal. It means that it's really a huge opportunity for, for many people. How do you go about building a business that thrives in the township and really be able to claim your share of that 900 billion rand? So I think for me it's two parts, right? 
it's the one, the number, so it's one, the entrepreneurs. The second part is the individuals that live within these communities. Now, I'll start with the individuals that live within these communities. It's the understanding that you are the power, firstly. Secondly, in knowing that you are the power, don't undermine that five rand or that ten rand. Because oftentimes we undermine the influence of the money we have in our in our hands. So I'll say to Ancilla, you know, we love you, we love your products, but they we have money, we'll support you. But you've got money now, you've got that ten rand. So I think for me, what that then means is a symbol of being very deliberate with the knowledge that you have. Being very deliberate with the knowledge that you have that says, whatever money I have, if there is an alternative in the township, I'm gonna direct my money to that alternative mm. and number three is being proud of individuals that live in the township to say we are proud in the sense that we want to build our own billionaires mm. we have seen it time and time again year and year we make billions um for individuals we've made so many individuals billionaires so the mindset that says we don't want to see our own as we don't want to see our own as billionaires we don't want to see an ancillary as a billionaire those time the, 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 that limited mindset of envy and scarcity is over mm. we are now looking towards creating our own billionaires right mm. on the second part with the entrepreneur for me is to say you know create the product but don't just create the that that amazing product for the township that you're in create build your business and start it where you are with what you have but you know that business has got the innate ability to compete in other markets and even in global markets right um at some point you know you know i was talking about an entrepreneur that we worked with who was operating out of a four meter and three four meter by three zinc container umkuk or a shack as you'd have it in one of the township was making anywhere between it was making about five hundred and eighty thousand rand you know a month and a lot of people got shocked but that, that that's the least of these entrepreneurs you know there's a guy who menu there's a guy who sells glass sheets who does way more than that so i think for me and you're right the township economy is booming but what we then need to do is is to make it an inclusive economy because much of those much of those amounts that you sort of mentioned now they talk to the monies that are transacting that are being pulled out by the multinationals so when you build an inclusive economy is to say that you know in a space where you'd have retail spaces in a community in a township you would have a sepo you know doing the grease uh, cleanouts you know you would have a table being brought in uh, to provide very strategic um, very strategic procurement opportunities. And I've always said to large corporates that let's look at your 10, 10, top 10 commodities that you're transacting with or whatever 10 um, items that the majority of your spend is going to. And could we then create filters or buffers where the top-down and the bottom-up approach, where the big guys that you've contracted work with 10 or 5 of the small guys in contracting them and skills transfer to these amazing individuals so that tomorrow when the same contract comes out, they can then equally bid for those larger contracts. Mm -hmm. So for me then, it's being intentional. And I think it's also then breaking away from saying that, you know, the only thing you should be striving for as a township business is to be doing catering gigs, cleaning gigs, security gigs, construction gigs. No, 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 no. Let's open up the market and let's open up the mindset to say that there are more strategic opportunities that you should be delving deeper into than that's 
research those markets. Yeah, for sure. I, there's an interesting statistic, uh, a very interesting statistic I want to read here. So a report that I read said there is about 532 townships in the country and around 150 billion rand is spent um, in cash in those townships from about 150,000 spaza shops every year. And then they say that they contribute as much as 5.2% in the GDP of the country. 5.2%. That's massive. 5.2%. And they also employ 2.6 million people in the country. And when I read those numbers, I was like, wow. I need to start thinking about what to do in the space because... 532 townships. That's a, an entire market. Yeah. If that space can employ 2.6 million people. Listen, uh, that's a game changer yeah. right there. Yeah. What kind of businesses are actually at this moment in 2023 booming within the township space or where there is gaps where businesses can boom? If somebody is watching this and they're like, I want to do something, what should they be doing and what would do well? So, I mean, I love those stats. I think the, those stats in and themselves are a bit conservative mm-hmm. because the informal market, I mean, last checked, um, it was said that there's about 1.8 million. There's way more than that. Mm-hmm. And you must also understand that when the matrix is, is utilized to then measure unemployment, if I'm an informal business, I'm still considered uh, unemployed. unemployed. Yeah. And I think we then need to shift that because I've got quite a number of people that I employ in my informal business who might not be getting their UIA for their PAYE. So shifting the matrix would then start to then shine a light in what is now considered a very gloomy part of the country. So now when we then start to only focus on the gloomy parts of the country through these stats, we then block off the opportunities that are available to us. And the township economy is very big and very vast, right? But also what we have then seen is we have then seen, and I'll talk about this, a very a booming middle class that has said, we don't want to go out of the township. We want to enjoy live livelihoods, great living spaces in the township, great food in the township, but we don't want to be served mediocrity. Serve us excellence. Serve us the same excellence that we would get if I went to a thing, a Northcliffe boutique. Mm-hmm. Serve me the same excellence I would have gotten if I went to, um, because these individuals work in those spaces. They deliver though that level of excellence to patrons that come into the businesses that they work in. So they know what excellence sort of looks like. So anyone who wants to then participate in the space, number one, you must be intentional. Whatsoever products or services that you're looking to deliver and serve in the space, it must not be a by the way, but deliver dignified products that are excellent, that com- compete on global scale. And then you start to then see people then supporting, sort of, sorry, then supporting your product. But also for me, what I've always said is, you know, we often undermine where the money is. So I say to young guys that are looking for jobs or are looking for business opportunities, well, start, get 50 bucks, stock a couple of wages, go to the corner and start telling them, Ish, yo, what are people going to say? So it's an ego mm-hmm. thing then you know then you don't want it that bad because if you really wanted it bad enough you'd go to your neighbor's house where there's a girl who's the same age as you who's a teenager who dresses like you and you take the ego you put it aside because you know the poverty that you're faced with has got nothing to do with the person on the side that's why we then see the gaps in the market that are being fulfilled by foreign nationals that we are now keep fighting with week in and week out right but we shouldn't be because they are taking advantage of the gaps that of the of the opportunities that we have considered as crumbs. 
right? So, and if ever, and if, if the only time we'll react is when we see people having taken up things that we were working on, that our granddads and grandmothers made money out of, then it's too late for us. Because we're looking for the corner offices with a view in Santon and are discarding washing sneakers in the township, washing cars in the township, and also then taking that to the next level. Then poverty is going to be our portion mm -hmm. because no one is going to give us opportunities on a silver platter. We then need to go out there and get it, but we've, mis mis we've mis misunderstood what going out there and getting it means. It means, so, so for me, I've always said that if you've got a skill, and you live in a community, what could you do that is within that community? It doesn't have to be the most creative that can bring money into your hands. Is it washing their bins? Is it cutting their grass? Is it, is it, is it, is it buttering between the guy who's got the machines and you and getting those grasses cut and taking ego and putting it to the side? Mm -hmm. Because if you don't do that, then, then, then in my language, in poverty is always going to be your portion. Mm. And you then should not be then chastising people that are coming into your market and taking advantage of your market if we are not closing up all of those gaps. Because if ego is still going to be the, in the, 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 thing, the main thing, then we're not going to succeed in anything because money is not only in the glamorous spaces. But the township economy is shining a light in saying that the spaces that you deem dirty, stinking, undignified, that's where a lot of wealth is. Because you sort of see it with the large influx of all these brands saying that we now want to go into the township. So if you being someone who comes from the township are still undermining it, well... You're going to lose out. You're going to lose so out. So if you are to pick five types of businesses yeah. that could thrive today in the township, what would they be? I mean, there's quite a lot. I mean, mm. I think any business that you can think of can thrive in the township. Mm. Uh, there's a big boom in the FMCG, well, in the retail space, and I guess the food retail mm. space, right? Um, there's really a big boom that's also come from selling like your non-traditional foods like or traditional food like your umhod or your intestines and the sort right that agro being able to plug into that part of the value chain is still a very big part of that market i mean there's a very big space uh, popping up within the backroom space but not just creating then the, you know the three by three the three by two back rooms that have got no kitchenette nothing and everyone uses communal bathrooms and showers but creating in suit type back rooms where people are able to have dignified living and we've seen quite a number of those developments popping up um, in various communities and townships right so for me the big thing has always been to say create it but create it dignified and created it well it's gonna pop and it's gonna do extremely well i mean in the work that i do i mean i get to see seven thousand um, new businesses each and every year and you know these guys range all the way from manufacturing brake pads to manufacturing cleaning products to um, reselling products to manufacturing their own bricks and manufacturing. So there, there's, there's a large number of individual manufacturing stuff. And the one way to break away from the fragmentation, each and every township has it. And what I mean by that is if you walked into any township and you looked for solutions, complete end-to-end -end solutions for whatever problem you have, you'll find them. So it's the fragmentation that says that this one who's manufacturing the brakes is not utilizing this one who's got the truck. Mm -hmm. This one who's got the truck is only, he's got seven trucks as a fleet, but he only services the Northcliffe area, but lives in the Alexander area. But the people there that need his service. So there's still that mismatch of opportunities that, that has said, you know, we are looking for the one to solve the problem, but the one who solves the problem is right next door to him. But I can't work with Jabu, man. I know Jabu. I've always worked with Jabu. So shifting that mindset mm -hmm. so that we're able to build an inclusive economy where 
wherever we go. And that's a huge barrier to entry, right? Yeah. And to even the scalability of the businesses that we see pop up in the township because, oh, well, I changed your nappies. I There's no way you can yeah. build such a product because I know you, I, yes. you know. And even just people expecting handouts because they know you, they raised you, they changed your nappies yeah. and expecting discounts, et cetera, et cetera. That makes it difficult to even yeah. operate. But I feel like even when you're coming from outside the township, it even gets more difficult because who are you? Mm. And how do I trust you? How mm. do I know for sure that whatever it is they're trying to do is for my benefit or you're just mm. coming for my resources and mm. what's in it for me? Mm. And there's a lot of barriers in that space. How do you advise people who are outside of the township like myself who are looking into possibilities of going into the township space to start businesses to navigate those kind of challenges no so for me it's uh number one every you know everything starts with understanding but you know have your hand firmly on whatever products that one wants to serve or services wants to deliver into that space be intentional you know i think which is why you know with our with our workshop there's at least 12 different intentional points we've been able to build up, right? Um, that, and we utilize as a proof model to brands to say that you often talk about you can't get them, you can't give them procurement opportunities. We've built a procurement opportunity model. Mm -hmm. We didn't just build a procurement opportunity model. We actually have been running this. And these are all the pitfalls. These are all the success. So you don't have any excuse any longer. Right. And I think for me, it then becomes important to say anyone wants to then operate within the space, be very intentional, be acclimatized to the culture, uh, because no town, no two townships, no two townships are alike. Right. There's a Tembisa, there's Ebony, which is separated mm -hmm. by the street. There's Clayville, there's Langa, there's Kailicha, there's Guamashu, there's Nduzuma. You know, mm -hmm. and those those townships which are next to each other are not alike because mm -hmm. it's the culture, it's the dialect, it's the the foods that are dominant within those spaces. So be very intentional about you know how the how and the who of all of those areas. And the moment you then start to then grow and understand those areas even more, it becomes more and more important that you then in in entrench yourself in the cultures and communities. And I'll give you an example. Um, there's one gentleman we worked with uh, who wanted to build properties in the township. And he had successfully bought a couple of them. But the biggest challenge was crime, right? So he built these up. You know, they wake up in the morning, the bricks are gone. They buy product, they, they, they buy raw materials. They wake up in the morning, the windows are gone. Then it was a, so for me, it was a simple problem. And all we told him was simply this. Do you have neighbors around where the properties are? Yes. It's simple then. Who lives in those neighbors? In most cases, so on the left was a grandmother, I think an old lady who lived alone. On the other side, it was a grandmother and a granddad who lived with their kids. No, it's simple. Buy them groceries each and every month. Don't ask them to look out for you. Just buy them groceries each and every month. Tell them it's your goodwill. Because, you know, you can't come and take and then expect the very same people to look out for you. One of the ways to entrench. So the moment he did that, theft stopped. In actual fact, you know, most of the criminal activity was stopped by the people that were living there. Why? Because whatever you are building in the township is benefiting us. Now, the biggest fights that are happening right now in the country are stemming from, 
you know, you guys are building these big facilities. Yes, you're going to, we're giving you our money because we actually need your services, but you're giving us nothing back. It's the large corporations that take 30 million rand a year, they give it to cycling challenges and they give it to pets are us and, and, and animal foundations, but they will never take, a, take the very same amount of money and distribute it to black individuals in the townships. And that's a big challenge and people can pick out on that. And the reality of it is, yes, I will keep giving you my money because I actually need your service. And the system that is built, the financial system that is built, is built in such a way where I can't operate without you. But should the day come where I need to revolt, I'm going to revolt because we don't need you. You're not entrenched in us. There's nothing about you that says you're a part of us. So how somebody would argue that then that uh, creates or makes the the idea of handouts stick, that if you want something, if you want to build something in my community, you better do something for me, of which that's not how we would want the world to to operate, right? You want people to be able to go work for whatever it is that they need and be able to grow themselves in that way like everybody else. So don't you think by doing that, we are sort of enabling that behavior to continue? So I think for me, it's... I understand the, uh, I understand the question and the, the thinking there, but I think also is to understand the socioeconomic um, layout of our country. With the, with the unemployment, the townships prehistorically being set out as, as spatial zones where the, you know, the maiden workers would live far away from the urban areas, right? Now, now, the thinking and the reality there with that is to say, now this part of the conversation then speaks to the larger organization and brands that have been taking money from these communities but doing nothing for those communities, mm. right? And living them in ruins and filth. For me, it's not necessarily an entitlement mindset, but the frustration then comes where you've got individuals that have got competing services and products who could potentially participate in delivering those products. But you have a mall built in the township, the security company doesn't come from the township, but you've got over 50 security companies mm -hmm. that are operating in the township that are entering their services all over the country. Why can't they be given an opportunity to bid? Mm -hmm. So all we are saying is that being intentional is to say, guys, you know, we've got a space that we're developing. We would like to shortlist and op do an open call to shortlist mm -hmm. from the local community. And let the ones who are competitive participate. So we did that with one of the developments. It was a 70 million rand development, uh, which was happening in one of the townships. And we made a fair procurement opportunity, very fair procurement opportunities to qualifying and competitive bidding, no handouts whatsoever. And the qualifying individuals participated in that market opportunity. Now you've got this very intentional pro project, which took a step further in saying that, you know what? You know, the guys who are building here is actually the lady who lives down the road. But what we then did with that particular program is this. We then looked at the criteria to say, what could be, what, 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 you don't cancel, because criteria is very, very important, right? Compliance is extremely important because it then helps with governance, mm -hmm. health and safety and the sorts. But what could you then potentially relax and give uh, provisional approvals on certain things. So if you're in the construction space, could we then potentially, if this person meets the quality of individual that we are looking for, could we then tell them that you meet the criteria and we want to select you? But however, 
we will then give you a provisional approval on the basis that you'll then go and work on your letter of good standing with the Labor Department. Once you've got that within 30, we give you 30 days. Once you have that, you've got the contract and you can move ahead. Why do I say that? Because the cost of compliance in our country is extremely expensive, which means that you then need, we then need to then incentivize these individuals who then need to then participate in opportunities. So a small for any average small business, whether in the township or anywhere, you are chasing a dead ratio each and every day. Sorry, each and every month, right? So you're operating on a 14-day dead cycle. So it means that I don't attend any workshop. I don't participate in anything unless it does two things for me. Unless it saves me money or makes me money. So we are then we then see small businesses as being very despondent or hard headed, and uh, they don't comply. They don't want to. Or they don't want to participate in opportunity. No, they want to participate in opportunities, but it's just him and his one employee, and he's very hands on mm. in dealing with the technical aspects of mm. the business. But if we don't understand that, you will consistently rule them out and factually rule them out on a clear base. But you see, you didn't take the time to understand what yeah. is it that is keeping them from actually delivering the compliance that is required i absolutely love that because it brings back me back to one of my most favorite ways of doing business which is shared value everything i do has to do with shared value be it with my employees or my teams my contractors my uh the people within the communities that we work with there has to be shared value i win we win it's a win-win type of situation it's very very important when we do business and i think that in the township space it also becomes very important like you were mentioning especially when you understand where we come from as a country and the difficulties that we've we've sort of experienced as a country the reason why i'd post that question is because during the pandemic uh i found myself in such a between a hard rock and what do they say a rock and a hard place place. because we knew it was the pandemic and things were tough for so many people and wanted to do something good their own money small businesses let's go into the townships and like do some parcels went to shops and bought you know food from oil to staples oil maize meal and sugar and all of beans and all of those kind of things because we knew things were tough and we went down to zanspreit which is an informal settlement um on bears nodia drive we were chased out of that place like we're dogs because the moment we arrived it was like Number one, how did you choose who to give food and why? We're like, well, we're small businesses. We can only do 100. And we asked people within the community to identify 100 people that we can do this for. And that's it. We we can literally only do that because we're not government or an NGO or any, anything like that. We're just people from the community trying to do something to our people. And I remember seeing hundreds of people now walk to us. People climbing on top of our cars. Pest. Why didn't you give me? You guys come here with your English and you think you you own us. And, and I left that place feeling so deflated because it had started and come from such a good place. And this is the pandemic. We're all struggling. Even in my business, I had contracts being canceled by clients. I had It was so tough that I went back into journalism. I was like, okay, BBC, let's do a show. Like, like listen, I'm going to take this opportunity just to supplement stuff. And I'll take even money from that job that I'm doing to be able to go and help within the communities. And that's the kind of reception that we received i'm not saying this is what always happens but it left me with a lot of questions in terms of how do i participate in this space 
and how do I participate effectively without mm. making anybody angry or making it seem as if I'm better because that was never the intention because yeah. yeah. I don't want to yeah. seem like somebody with money when everybody else is struggling. I'm just taking everything I have and saying, okay, let's share food so that you can have something to eat. So that's why I asked that question in particular because even till today, I find myself in a in a tricky spot. I want to do stuff within the townships. Um, I want to do trainings. There's so much I've learned around entrepreneurship. I want to do trainings. I want to do development. I want to help people become speakers or whatever it is that they want to do because I know that there's so much talent within the space. But I'm scared because I'm like, oh my goodness, will this repeat itself? That's why I asked you that question in particular because it's something that weighs on me and I know that I have to do yeah. something but it's the how do I do it and do it yeah. right and do it safely that you becomes know, tricky. You know, I think first and foremost, thank you for doing that. Um, you know, and and, and uh, you know, I think for me and thank you but also thank you to all the corporates that are keeping the country running because you know, if there's one thing we're very clear on is the goodwill that goodwill activities that are running in the country is actually what's keeping the country running, because government is is failing, and they are unable also to reach out to where they need to go. But also, the, there's a mindset challenge that has um, that, that 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 continues to cripple the townships. I mean, you mentioned you go, you went there, and you were handing out food, and there were some who are now calling you out of your good deed as you think you're better, who are you, who are whatever. That's a scarcity mindset. But that's also been perpetuated by our governing party and other political parties. You ask yourself this, people need abolition facilities, but every election campaign, T-shirts and food packs are handed out. T-shirts and food packs. You look at, you look at the you know, hierarchy of needs for our people, right? People need you know, good sanitation, People need good places to live in. They need consistent jobs and the sort. But however, the ruling party knows. And also, the biggest challenge that we've picked up is that in different communities that we've worked in, so I've had guns pointed at me. I've been violently assaulted for the work that we do. Because you understand, but also the back end is we understand why. The why is the promises that were broken, that were left unanswered by the politicians. That's why we then suffer. Mm. For these people that are there, that who should be receiving this amazing gift and are not receiving this amazing gift purely because their dreams have been shattered by these individuals mm. who then promised what they promised, but they didn't deliver. But also there's the other end where you are then answering for someone else's sins. Someone else who then came in who said they would do this and they would do mm. that. So the people themselves then remain untrusting mm. and they don't want to believe that you are actually who you say you are. And the criminal element as well that then have undertaken or taken um, some of our townships is these individuals who are there and it's a bullying mindset mm. and tactics to then say that, you know, um, anything you want to do in this particular township must happen through us. Mm. But, you know, it's not for the greater good of everyone else in that particular township. It's the greater good of a select few that want to then you know, strangulate opportunities only for themselves. Mm. So we've said, you know, in some of the projects, there are projects we've had to abandon. I do work in the township, but they are projects we have had to abandon that could have emancipated quite a large number of individuals. But you then reach a point in a ceiling where if government is not working with you on certain things and assisting, 
You know, there's nothing you can do, unfortunately. And I've seen it. They're corporates that want to do amazing, good work. But we need the government because the mm -hmm. government at the end of the day is the custodian mm -hmm. of every single work that needs to be done. So for before we even do any work, they need to create an enabling environment for us to be able to, to create that work. I've often mm -hmm. said to various ministers of small business year in and year out, you know, we don't need you. We don't need your money. What we need you to do is you, we need you to actually govern create an enabling environment, create the right type of policies, create the right type of support policies for small businesses and watch them thrive. Mm -hmm. Because then when you're, the moment you're able to do that, big business is able to trust that if we partner with the Department of Small Business Development, the money is going to go mm -hmm. to the right place. So now there's a big level of distrust with government, there's a big level of distrust with NPOs and NGOs that have operated in this space because it's, it's been self-serving. Now when you walk into the space and want to do stuff, it's met with contempt. And it makes sense because if something has happened to you over and over and over again, you'll also build up a wall to protect yourself. Yeah. So so I get it. Uh, I, I understand that. I mean, as a black young woman in this country, I understand that and I understand our our anger and, and our fears and, and why we react in that way. Then the big question then becomes from a small business perspective of young people like us who are trying to do something and want to take the little that we have into the townships because there's so much talent in the township so much talent but the talent is at home sometimes with no jobs and no opportunities because that's unfortunately the kind of um landscape economical landscape that we have now in the country what do we do how do we get in there and 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 be able to do that number one safely because I felt unsafe. Like imagine people being on top of your car. I remember just crying and thinking, "We're trying to do something good. Like how did this happen? How do we try to? How do we continue to do stuff that are good? Because even as that happened, but I still want to do good. Yeah. How do we continue to do good? And I, I, the way in which I said, in my in my opinion, I don't want to give out food parcels. I want to be able to share the knowledge that I have. This podcast is, for example, exactly about that. That's why it's called Access Genie. We're trying to give access to minds like yours, minds to people that other people otherwise not need so that they get knowledge and information to be able to propel themselves, right? So how do we get into the townships safely to be able to give whatever it is that we can to be able to decrease the unemployment rate that we have in the country? But also while protecting ourselves and feeling yeah. safe. Because as a woman, I, yeah. I don't know what to do if I, I, I get a gun pointed at me like you have. That's very scary. And then so many of us are sitting there wanting to do something, but we don't know how we do it while still being safe. So I think for me, you know, it goes back to, I mean, I grew up in Tembisa. And, you know, I think also it's that, you know, growing up in the township, because even in growing in those townships, there are different, I won't even say regional, different sectional issues mm -hmm. and fights between different. So you now knew that, you know, in for us, if I want to come do stuff in Soweto, I need to know who's doing stuff in Soweto that's in line with the stuff that I'm doing and I need to work with them to give it number one, to then quail out, you know, who are you? Why are you here? You know, do you think this is Tembisa? Mm -hmm. This is not Tembisa. Because that's everywhere. That type of level of thinking. But what we found in the work that we do to sort of combat that is to find people that are doing 
work similar to the type of work that we're doing. It could be at a minor, minor level, but the fact that they're doing, we go in there, work with them, and then collaborate in, in fulfilling what we're trying to fulfill, but also empowering them. Then you, so that then adds a lev- an element of localizing um, the support to a degree. And, you know, sometimes we then find that the, some of the people that we work with, uh, you know, don't deliver, don't show up, you know, but you then it's the mindset, what you're dealing at that moment is the mindset, the matrix to say that, but we brought someone who's local, who's still here with mm-hmm. us, who's then working with us. And it's sad that it needs to be that way because help generally, you know, is help is help. And when help comes from anywhere, any skin color, any race, any individuals, any country should be received. Like you spoke about the man who helped you start and exactly. trained you. you. you because you could have he shined that me. and you he wouldn't didn't be know. here He's today. He's an Afrikaner yeah. who, in a country that's marred by racism mm-hmm. and the sort. He's an Afrikaner who didn't know me from a bar of soap, mm-hmm. who said to me, come and we'll... And that built into its own friendship at the end of the day. Yeah. But I think for me, it, it, you know, it goes back to the ones really that want to do stuff. I, my advice would be partner up with guys that are local, that are doing stuff, you know, and saying, listen, uh, what can we do? And also then sift out if they're being authentic or not. Because sometimes, you know, some people will represent themselves as we are the ones you must talk to to do mm-hmm. stuff in a certain community, but they're just trying to stifle mm-hmm. those opportunities and, and yeah. throttle them only for Bayola themselves. They are and all of that. Yeah. And, and as you're talking, I'm being reminded of how it's actually even similar in the white collar space because other companies will try to crush you through competition it's just on a different scale and a different level but even in you know your santon or whatever which is suburbia you'll find those kind of competition within businesses themselves uh that's why you'll find even malls have strict rules about where can a checkers be and a pick and pay be within a mall and because those those type of competitions exist anyway so that's why we've got the competition um, act as well that really tries to to protect those kind of things and in those kind of situations so that really does make sense so when we end this podcast we like playing what is called fast five it's five fast questions five. Okay. that i get to ask you and you answer in either one word or a sentence whatever feels good they move fast and they're fun so we're gonna get into that right now so first part i want to know what describes your current state of mind in this moment this moment right now right now push <laughs> push um I think this conversation has also then unlocked the fact that we need to do more, right? So my current state is push, right? And yeah. (laughs) Push, 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 and keep on pushing. And what's something that you used to value that you now no longer value? Cars. Um, You know, I used to love cars. I owned a lot of cars, but... My desire for cars has <laughs> fallen through. I don't know, fallen through the the, the cracks. I now, I now, I now, I now appreciate different things. Traveling, I've got quite a, a good art collection, um, sculptures. Those are the things I like. The things I used to like then, I don't like mm. anymore. And what have you had to unlearn? Um, that I'm the answer to everything. Um, I can solve everyone's problem. Um, I need to be there to help everyone. Unfortunately, I've had to unlearn that because I can't. Mm-hmm. I can't be at 10 places at once. I can't solve everyone's problem. 
Um, you know, that if I can do something in a moment that is done authentically and genuinely, that's all I could do and that's all I can. And that's it. And what beliefs or mindsets have been the most transformative for you? Um, I think for me, I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, so I mean, if we talk about belief, I can't talk about that without talking about, I think, my religious belief. I mean, I'm a Christian. Um, and I really believe, you know, in the word. Um, I really believe that, you know, if you set your mind on stuff and really pray and work on, because cause in my darkest moments, what has gotten me out of those dark moments was I pray. Mm -hmm. And then I work on whatever I need to work on or go talk to someone who knows how to get me into, out of that, those sticky situations, mm -hmm. right? But I think for me, it's then also believing in that, but not letting go of my culture. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is I'm raising boys who go to multiracial schools, who speak English, you know, they need to know what being a Xhosa is. Mm -hmm. They need to know what being a Gaba is. They need to understand you know, different African foods, what the African culture actually is, so that as they grow, they don't assume a new identity whilst letting go of their true identities. Mm. And finally, what's the one thing after this conversation that you want to ensure you go to do and that will help grow yourself and your businesses? I don't know if, if it's, a, but I definitely want to go on my LinkedIn and write about people who are scared to actually do good. Because, you know, I often talk a lot and a lot is said about corporate should do, should do, people should do, should do. That mm -hmm. I'm sitting here thinking, how about the many who've tried to do who are now despondent? Because the reality is also we're then faced with a very um, high number of, um, you know, violent crimes mm -hmm. that have now come up in the country. Know, what about those people who have now become totally despondent in doing anything at all, either through trauma or whatever the case? Mm -hmm. And I think I'm grateful for the fact that you are here. You've experienced that level of trauma, but are still saying you still want to do something. But what about the masses who are saying, I don't want to see the township at, at all. all you had it for yourselves thank you so much for watching this conversation and if you want to learn more about what's happening within the township economy make sure that you follow Bulelani across uh, social media platforms from LinkedIn to he's got a YouTube page as well so please check him out until next time keep winning and keep inspired goodbye from the Cliffside Boutique Getaway. This podcast is for all entrepreneurs, leaders, and genies who are looking to learn from those who walked the path to success. Thank you so much for your support and stay tuned to more Access Genie. New episodes drop every Monday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and of course, on YouTube. Follow us on social media and share this podcast with your friends and your family so they too can be empowered. I hope you're living with a newfound source of energy to go after that life that you want. Good luck.